Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Come on, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Come on, real quick, before we get into anything, can we just honor our amazing pastors that we have in the house? Come on. Come on, if that's for me, I appreciate it. Come on, it's your pastors. Oh my goodness. I have had the privilege of, of, of having multiple conversations in the last couple of weeks with, with Pastor Gay, Pastor Gary, um, and their heart is for you. They really believe in the best for you. There are some sacrifices I need to let you know that they have done that you will never and not even I will ever know about. So do me a favor tonight, after tonight, on your way home, man, pray for your pastors. Can I get an amen for that tonight? Come on, pray for your pastors. Uh, as Pastor Gary said, I am Dennis Rivera, uh, and I have the privilege, oh my, I have never done this before, but I have the privilege of bringing with me the most beautiful girl in the entire universe. I brought you a gift today, but it's mine, so you got to give it back at the end of the night. I brought you a gift. It is my wonderful and beautiful fiance, Carla. Can you just wave at everybody? Can you just say hello? Oh my goodness. God bless you. They put you in the front. Now, it's going to be hard for me to preach, but uh, the Lord has blessed us to come here today. I, I got a word, and I, I want to share it with you. Uh, and I'm not a man that takes too much time introducing himself. I really want to speak on what God has today. And so if you take notes, please open it up. Please open up your notes app. If you do it that way, if it glows in the dark, if you got a notebook and you're old-fashioned like me, holla at your boy. Uh, please open up the notebooks. I want to make sure you're taking notes. Come on, we believe if God's going to speak, we should write it down. Come on. The entire scripture was inspired by many people who said, man, if God's speaking to me, maybe I should write this down. And so you have no idea what God's going to speak to you tonight. I want to take you to Joshua chapter 3. Um, and if you've never taken notes tonight, come on, at least, at least leave this room with something written down. One thing. Come on. Don't write a whole bunch of stuff. Just start with one thing. Uh, Joshua chapter 3. We're picking on, on verse 5. It says, then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow. Somebody say tomorrow. Come on, I'm the kind of preacher that I don't preach at you. I preach with you. You talking back. Somebody say tomorrow. tomorrow. Tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Verse 6. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and they went ahead of the people. Then the Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Verse 8, give this command to the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop right there. Verse 9, we continue reading. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Verse 10, today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Some of you are like, wait, what did he just say? It's a lot of people that were against him. He's driving out all of those people. And verse 11 says, look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Yeah. We're almost done. Come on. Can we read the Bible at church today? Verse 12. We're reading it. Verse 12 says, now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord for the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. Yeah. So the people, they left their camp. And they crossed the Jordan River, and the priests who were carrying the ark went ahead of them, just as God said. It happened. Ready? Verse 15. It was harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing in its banks. 
It had more water than it was intended to. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, verse 16, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away, and the water below that point flowed into the Dead Sea. We continue reading until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Last verse right here. Meanwhile, the priest who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle. Somebody say middle. In the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed on dry ground. Come on, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Before we talk anything about this, I just want to speak to God for a second. Come on, pray with me, Lord, right now. We just ask that you would speak to us, Jesus. Be with us, Lord. Today, it's not my word. It's not their word, God. It is your word. Let it be a sword that cuts us open, and let it be a seed planted in our hearts, God. I pray that this would encourage me, it would discipline me, and it would correct me to be the person you want me to be, God. I'm not here to be a better version of myself, God. I'm here to be a more accurate reflection of who you are. So help me know you more and look like you. Come on, with every eye closed, every head bowed, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, Jesus. speak to me. I'm listening. And everybody says, amen and amen. I I don't know if you know this truth, but first impressions are everything. If you ask my fiance what her first impression of me, she might say something along the lines of the hottest guy in the room. I don't know. She She could rephrase it a little differently. She'll definitely say there was an angel in the room, something, something along those lines. Uh, but don't ask her, just ask me every single time. But, but first impressions, I, I killed it. I got on one knee, I said, she said yes, that means I killed my first impression, so on and so forth. I, I, I don't know if you go door to door knocking, if you've ever been experiencing that, maybe it's your work, maybe you did it for high school. Uh, but a first impression with anything sales related is everything. You know, studies show that in the first five to seven seconds, people already have a prejudice about who you are, where you come from, and who you're surrounded by. Just by looking at you, without you even saying a word, in five to seven seconds, they're like, oh, this guy's this, 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 and that. I remember, uh, this is not a good story for me to share, but God loves to embarrass me uh, for the blessing of others. And so I'll be burdened today for you guys. I I was in a basketball team, and and in my school, they made us sell chocolates to raise money for the school um, and to, you know, just to get more more basketballs to practice and pay the coach and whatnot. And I was going door to door. Now, if you don't know me, I'm a salesman at heart. I know exactly what to say, when to say, and I can move your heart to buy whatever I have in my hands. I just, it's a a gift. I don't know. Could be a a curse, but but hopefully uh, it continues being a gift. And I was going door to door. I was was selling chocolates everywhere that I went and I went to this one house this is where it gets tough I'm knocking on the door this older lady she opens the door and I'm giving her my spiel chocolates you need chocolates your life is empty without chocolates right I'm, I'm giving her everything right and she's like well, well son I'm sorry I'm, I'm diabetic and I, I can't have chocolates and I'm like all right you, you're a liar like you just don't want to give in to selling a little boy some chocolates I get it and as I was, I was as I was about to leave she says but my daughter loves chocolates I said, well, bring your daughter here. I'm going to sell her all my chocolate. If she loves it, I'm going to sell it. It's what I do. So she brings her daughter. I don't know what happened, but when you're in middle school, you just fall in love with any girl that gives you attention. And so when she walks up to the door, I I remember this clearly. I I wish my sister was here because she was helping me out. I looked at her, and I was so starstruck that all I could say was, chocolates? (laughs) I looked at her in the eyes, and I'm like, chocolates and my sister grabs the box she ends up selling the chocolates for me but you best believe that your friend here in front of you did never went to that house again I I went door to door but every time I saw that blue house baby blue house oh my god I'm scarred right every time I saw that house I said "We're, we're gonna go to the next house so on and so forth and the first impression it can either make your best relationships happen or it can embarrass you so bad that you never go back to that place 
See, the reason why that's so important for you to understand is because we find Joshua in Joshua chapter 3 in a moment of first impressions. Joshua chapter 1, Moses dies and Joshua is the new leader in charge. And now God has given him his first command. Go to the Jordan River and lead the people across it. This is the single most important moment for Joshua's life because everything he's ever done following Moses has led him to today. If you lead us to this river, Joshua, and God doesn't open the seas like you say he will, we will never trust you again. So Joshua's in this moment, just like I was knocking on this door, and he's got this first impression. Now, I'm not on God's marketing team for a very clear reason, but if I was, I would have done things a bit differently. I read this story, and, and this might be offensive, but I read the story, and I, I get bothered by God's decision. I'm saying, God, well, well, if you're trying to prove that Joshua's the new guy, why are you doing the same miracles you did with Moses? They went up to the Red Sea after they left Egypt, and God opened up the seas, and they walked through it. It's the God, wait, if you want to prove Joshua's the new guy, you want to do something different. Like, you want to bring out a monster out of the seas, carry them over with the monster. Like, you want to do something that would make Moses look so small. But God is looking here saying, you know what? The way that I'm going to prove Joshua is the new guy is I'm going to do the exact same thing that I did with Moses. Here's something that we learned about God. I hope you can write this down tonight, that God can be spontaneous, but he will always be consistent. He can do something new. There's a big possibility he will do something new, but something you can rest on, something you can bank on is that God will be the same today as he was yesterday and he will continue to be the same. And today he chose something different. He said, you know what? I'm not going to do a different miracle. I'm going to do the same. Well, God, why would you do the same? Because I want you to know no matter how different the leader is, I'm still the same Lord. No matter how different the resource can be, I'm still the same provider. See, a lot of us, we, we, we really got to learn this because Moses has become your excuse. Well, God can't do that because Moses ain't here no more. My investors, they backed out of my company because I don't have the same investors. My company will not be profitable. My insurance, they changed my doctor on me and now I got to rerun tests and, and I'm frustrated because this doctor doesn't know me the way that doctor did. And, and we're saying, God, Moses is gone. You can't do miracles anymore. And some of us were waiting for God to do a new thing to prove that the new leader, the new doctor, the new resource, the new investor, the new friend you have in your life is going to be from God. But God's going to do the exact same thing. He's going to be the same person. And some of us have to learn it's okay for Moses to die and Joshua to come because he's still Lord. He is still seated on his throne. He is still guiding us and leading us. I know Moses is dead, but God isn't. I know Moses isn't leading me anymore, but God is still leading me. I know my money's not there. I'm not getting paid like I used to before COVID, but God's still your provider. The same people aren't cheering me on anymore, but God has angels all around you, a crowd of witnesses cheering you on every step of the way. Moses, I love you. I appreciate you. But now that you're gone, I'm going to remind myself it wasn't about you the whole time. I'm going to remind myself, Moses, thank you for your service. Thank you for your work. But I'm reminding myself, God is ultimately in charge. Joshua, we appreciate you for your new service, but you're still not bigger than God. Moses might not be with you today. Whatever that may be, it could be an ex-boyfriend. It could be an ex-husband. Whatever you find attachment to, Moses might not be here today, but God still is. Well, Pastor Dennis, why is that important with me? Like, why, why should I care about that? Because if God is with you, you can do it. Yes. I, I'm going to add a little bit to that. It's actually the title of tonight's sermon. If God is with you, you can do it scared. 
You can do it even when, it's, even when there's no peace. You know that God is still going to provide. Sometimes you're not going to feel something. You have to go back to what you know in order to keep on walking. And in this moment, I need to let you know, my friend, maybe Moses isn't with you, but if God is with you, you can do it. And some, you can do it scared. See, for so long, I feel like us as Christians, right? I'm, I'm a Christian. We're, we're all Christians here. We've been doing this thing. We're, we're trying to figure out more about God and follow him a bit better. Can I get an amen, right? We're, all, we're, all trying, we're in that journey. And I feel like in this journey of trying to look more like Jesus, what we have tried to do is we've tried to remove or replace fear. Over and over again, we read verses like, uh, um, perfect love casts out all fear. Fear does not belong in love. And if you do fear, it's fear of punishment. And that clearly shows that you do not know God. You have an so we, we say all these things that, you know, just pray and, and you're going to find that peace and pray. And, and you're going to find that understanding. And so many of us, we're trying to replace this thing called fear. But I've read scripture. I've done homework so you don't have to. You're welcome, my friend. I love you. I believe in you. And in reading scripture and studying the word, I've realized that maybe it's not about replacing fear. Maybe it's about repositioning fear. See, I need you to understand, my friend, that fear, the root word of fear is jirah. Not jirah. That's a different word. That's God. But jirah, Y-I-R-A-H. Somebody say it with me. Jirah. Now, that's, that's definitely not a Hebrew way to say it. That's very Puerto Rican. That's how I'm saying it. I'm, I don't know, you know, Hebrew like that, but I, I studied it. I forgot to click on, you know, the little sound next to the word that shows you how to say it? I forgot to. I just, I just read it. I'm sorry. That word, jira, is the root word for the word fear. Now, here's, here's what I think is crazy, the fact that God even thought about this. If you change where fear is in a sentence, the definition changes. If you read the Bible, you can see the psalmist says that I'm surrounded and, and I'm afraid. You can see things, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, that fear means anxiety and being scared because it's around danger. But the psalmist also says, and, and even Old Testament teaches us, that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's two different definitions. It's the same root word, but where you place the word, change the definition of that word. See, it's important to know that because some of us, our fear is stopping us because it's surrounded by the wrong things. And you don't have to remove the fear out of your life. You just have to reposition it and say, it's not around danger. It's around the Lord. Today, my fear, it belongs to God. Today, my fear is postured towards Jesus. It's not a fear of what can hurt me or what can damage me. My fear is postured towards the Lord. I know he's got me. I know he's my provider. And I'm posturing my fear. I'm not throwing it away. I'm not abandoning it. I'm giving it. God. Today I want you to write this down. Don't replace fear. Reposition it. Reposition it, my friend. You were, you were afraid of this conflict. No, 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 no. I, I'm moving my fear to the feet of Jesus. And as I move it and reposition it to the feet of Jesus, it begins to change its definition. You know, Jesus, he's actually sleeping on a boat in Matthew chapter 8. And as he's sleeping on this boat, the Bible says that a great storm arises. His disciples are on the upper deck, right? And, and they're yelling, right? Look what they yell at God. They say, Jesus, aren't you afraid we're going to die? Jesus wakes up. He goes to the edge of the boat and he says, peace, be still. And he yells at this boat and he silences the storm instantaneously. Somebody say instantaneously. He silences the storm. If you just go flip over a little bit further down to Matthew 14, the disciples find themselves in another storm. Jesus, what is up with you in storms? 
Matthew's eight, he's in the boat. He yells at the storm. Boom, silence. Drops the mic. A couple of pages later, we see the disciples on the boat, but Jesus is not in the boat at this time. The Bible says that when the storm arises, they were scared for the life. They were trying to row out, but they couldn't because the storm was too strong. And so they see a ghost, what they think is a ghost, on water walking. We all know this story, right? Peter goes to the edge of the boat. He says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to walk on the water. I read this and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. It's a storm in both scenarios. It's a boat in both scenarios. But unlike Joshua and Moses, God decides to do something different in each time. With Joshua and Moses, it was the same water, a different body of water, but it was the same problem, the same situation. They had the cross, and God decides, I'm going to do the same thing that I did last time. But now, years later, when Jesus is here on earth, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, he decides, in one storm, I'm going to do one thing, and the next storm, I'm going to do something completely different. And it's crazy to me that the moment that this happened in the first story, they were saying, Jesus, look at our storm. In the second storm, Peter was saying, Jesus, I need to be with you. Yeah. It, it was this, this, this mental shift. It was this, this heart understanding where the first one, he was afraid of the storm. But in, in the second storm, a couple of chapters later, Peter learned something. He said, wait, 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 my fear shouldn't be postured towards the storm. My fear needs to be postured towards Jesus. And that's what it looks like. How, well, Pastor Dennis, how can I practice this fear thing? It's, it's too complicated. What do you mean fear has two definitions? And what you need to do is stop focusing on your storm and start focusing on the only one that can save you from it. I was doing a panel a couple of years ago, and there was this young boy. He started asking, well, Pastor Dennis, I, I, I keep focusing, and, and I keep messing up, and I, I can't stop singing. I, I have this pornography problem, and I, I can't stop it. And I don't want to, but it's always on my mind. And I said, my friend, this is your problem. You're focusing too much on your sin and you're not focusing enough on the one that saved you from it. The Bible says that mercy leads to repentance. It's not focusing on the sin. It's focusing on the fact that God is giving unending mercy and that would encourage me to turn from my wicked ways. Tonight, my friend, don't posture your fear on your sin. Don't posture your fear on the storm. Posture your fear like Peter did towards Jesus. Towards Jesus. Jesus, wait, wait, hold on, God. I... I get it. Okay, cool job, Peter. Awesome. You're cool. Whatever. Walking on water. Nobody else does that. I guess you're cool. But God, but that's, that still doesn't help me understand how you could ever go from doing the same miracle to prove you're God, and now you're here with the disciples on this side, and you're doing two different miracles. And, and as I kept reading, because sometimes to understand the Bible, you just got to read it over and over again. Sometimes it's just saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me, and read it over and over and over and over until God says, this is what I want to show you. And as I kept reading both of these stories back and forth, well, God, what are you trying to show me? And, and, and he asked me this question. And I'm going to rephrase it to ask it to you in a very similar way. I want you to write this down. What if God hasn't stopped your storm because he wants to teach you how to walk on it? Jesus, the storm is going to kill us. I got you. Peace be still. Boom. Another storm arises. Jesus, where you at? He's not even on the boat anymore. No, no, no. The reason I'm not on the boat is because I'm going to teach you how to walk on top of your storm. I want to teach you how to walk on top of your addiction. That person, they keep coming against you. I want to teach you how to walk over your struggle, over what you're going through today. I'm not going to stop your storm because I want to teach you how to walk on it. I know you're struggling, my friend. Jesus knows what you're going through, but he's saying, hold on. If you hold on just a bit longer, I'm going to show you how to walk on that. If you hold on just a bit longer, I'm going to show you how to stomp on the face of the enemy. I'm going to show you how to get through that, not just through that, but get on top of it and walk all over it.
This is where it goes bad, though. It goes just really, really bad for Peter. <laughs> Peter, yes. Oh, my God. He's, like, passing the, passing the 40. Passing the, he's almost there. Like, he's literally right there. He's in the, in the red zone, and he's almost there. And then it just, oh, well, Peter, great job. This is, like, the greatest story of what could have been. And what kind of was, right? Because he kind of walked on water, but he did. So this is like, I, do I celebrate it? Do I like learn from it? What do I do here, Jesus? As he's walking, scripture says something very specific. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're almost done here. Scripture says this. Matthews 14, 29. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came towards Jesus. Look at this, verse 30. But then when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out loud, Lord, save me. Look at this, look at this. Every time that Peter knew that Jesus was in front of him and he had his eyes on Jesus, every step just seemed to work out. But the moment he saw something different, the moment he saw the waves, his fear repostured itself the wrong way. Can I let you know faith is actually more about focus? Because you will receive faith by hearing the word of God. Anybody ever been in a room and somebody farted and you ignored it? You're just like, oh, that didn't happen. <laughs> it's funny, but I, I want to let you know we do that so many times with God's word. I'm just going to act like it didn't happen, God. So it's not, not just hearing, but focusing on what you heard. So tonight God is saying, wait, wait, no, no, no. You keep the faith and you posture your fear the right way by remaining focused on me I know the waves are big but I'm bigger I know that wind is strong my friend but I'm stronger I know it's a little scary but if you posture your fear towards me the definition changes my friend if you're looking at Jesus you can do it and not only do it but you can do it scared when he saw the waves, when he saw the waves, when he saw the waves, that was the mistake. When he saw the waves and he thought that it was bigger than Jesus, he began to sink. I, I, I want to tell you a story about the day, and I'm, I'm done here, about the day the devil attacked me. Now, don't take that so literal. Relax. We're going to get into an analogy. If you know me, you know my biggest fear is wasps. And I will let you know I get into spiritual warfare with wasps. I really do. You can judge me for this, but I, I enjoy Burger King. And I remember one day I was driving to Burger King after work. Windows down. You know, Florida boy, what's up? Come floor, windows down, music up. I just got out of work. I'm getting me some Burger King. So I'm driving to Burger King. I get into the driveway. And this was one of the driveways that if somebody's behind you, you just can't get out. You know those, those really bad ones. To the left is the restaurant or the fast food, whatever. To the right is just a bunch of grass. It's like, well, if somebody's behind me, I'm screwed. Windows down. I'm getting ready to order. There was one car in front of me out of nowhere I know the devil left you alone that day because he attacked me personally a wasp flew into my car into my passenger seat 
I said, oh my God, I did, I did not speak in tongues, but I was yelling very loud. I, I tried spiritual warfare. I just put my thing in reverse. I drove back. There was no car behind me. I went into a parking spot, not regular, but sideways, jumped out of my car, opened up every door, and I was watching the wasp go everywhere. I was like, you, I'm waiting for him to get out. Right now, Satan, flee. I'm resisting. Why aren't you fleeing? Going through it, I'm wasp, whatever. And then the worst thing that could have happened, happened, my friends. I lost sight of the wasp. because I didn't know where the heck that wasp was. I ain't gonna get back in the car. <laughs> you can go and check, not me. <laughs> I'm staying out here where it's safe. See, my friends, the reason why I share this with you is because it's a similar situation that Peter was in because he lost sight of what he was looking for. He didn't get back in. He didn't go where he had to go. My friends, my fear is that today you would see Jesus in a moment. You would lose sight of him the way I lost sight of that wasp. And you would say, because I can't see him, I'm not going back in. Because I can't see him move. I'm not going back in, my friend. If that's you and you feel like you've lost sight, I want you to say yes to him and say yes to him scared. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't feel good, even if you lose sight, say yes to Jesus, even if you're scared. Come on, if he's with you, you can do it. And you can do it. You can reach out to that friend who's not your friend anymore. You can say, I forgive you and I love you. Even if you're doing this, well, pastor, what if they don't say they love me back? What if they don't say they want to be friends again? Do it and do it scared. Call that, call that family member. But pastor, what if they don't want to talk to me? Call them and call them scared. Because it's not about removing the fear. It's about repositioning it, my friend. Today I want every eye closed, every head bowed. This is your personal moment with Jesus. And maybe you've been hearing this word and you've been saying, well, Pastor Dennis, I, I'm scared to say yes to Jesus. I don't know if he's going to catch me the way he's caught you. I don't know if he's going to believe in me the way he believes in you. You're a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I need to let you know that tonight is your night that you saw Jesus in some word, in some story, in some verse. And tonight he's saying, hey, you saw me. Now don't lose sight of me. Pastor, Den Pastor Dennis, is it going to work out? Trust God and trust him scared tonight if you're in this room and you're saying pastor Dennis, I, I need a relationship with jesus that's me that's me you're, you've been talking to me all night long and now i finally see him i got a glimpse of him and i want to follow him i want to receive his love even if i receive it scared if that's you can you just lift up your hand in this room if there's anyone in this room that wants to say yes to jesus come on there's one hand lifted up there's a second hand lifted up i see a third hand lifted up a fourth hand a fifth hand come on is there anybody else in this room there's a sixth hand in the room come on there are six people in this room come on church can we make some noise for six people saying yes i'm trusting him come on I'm gonna do it scared come on can we stand up on our feet right now come on there's a party in heaven people saying yes to Jesus